0: Hey, I'm JR. And I'm Mike from the 18 over par with Mike and JR Podcast. Welcome to season three of the pod, where we'll continue exploring the sights, stories, and sounds of golf on the prairies, where you'll find some of the most golf courses per capita of anywhere in the world and beer. Lots of beer. Lots of beer, JR.
1: It's the 18 over
0: par podcast with Mike and JR.
1: You suck. Yeah, doggy.
0: Welcome to 18 Over Par with Mike and JR, proudly presented by Bryce Matlashusky, who is an investment advisor with Endeavor Wealth Management, part of IA Private Wealth, and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund. You can contact Bryce at 204 515 3446. I'm JR, he's Mike, and today we're joined by one of the original rebels of the golf industry, Terry Hashimoto. Now a PGA of Manitoba Hall of Famer. He won Manitoba Amateur Championships, played professionally, and is a founder and inventor of numerous golf-related equipment and technologies. Well, we were looking for this man. It was kind of like Carmen Sandiego-esque, but we did find him. He's on the East Coast now in Charlottetown, uh, but he is synonymous with golf here in Manitoba. So we're happy to uh, dig him up, get him on the show. Uh, Incredible career, still going. Uh, I mean, I don't want to age you or date you or anything, but uh, my goodness, the the amount of stuff he did and have done and will continue to do, it just boggles the mind. Um, But this man, we want to give a shout out to him as well. Bryce Matlasiewski, this is the second season he's been on with us, and he is an investment advisor with Endeavor Wealth Management, part of IA Private Wealth, and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund. You can contact Bryce at 204 515 three four four six he's a great supporter of the show great supporter of golf and sport and community events in the city and my daughter is here too checking stuff out
2: hello young lady
0: (laughs) cameo cameo yeah that's that's gonna cost you a lot of money here hash to have her her on the show but uh yeah nonetheless uh most people probably do know who you are here but uh for people who don't how did you end up getting started in this game of golf
2: Well, first of all, hello, Manitoba. Hello, Winnipeg. Great to be back in the hood. It's been a long time. My mom just landed here, so... Welcome to pierogi land and shot town. Here we go. <laughs> we all started golf. Uh, uh, one winter, my dad was about 40. My mom was 30 and it was the dead of winter. And he said, we got to do something as a family. So back then there was a couple of winter golf schools. The Cherka brothers had a winter school down at the old SIR building right downtown. And uh, Jimmy Roy had a, a winter golf school. And that's how we got started playing golf as a family.
0: Wow. wow. So were they, were they, so they, you all pretty much started at the same time then?
2: Exactly. I was uh, 10. My dad was about 40 and my mom was about 30. And uh, he said, you got we got to do something as a family and for some reason he picked golf and uh, i happened to really like it and you know i when i was 12 i won my first uh, provincial championship the 12 and under and uh, it took off from there i just uh, was one of those sports that i loved i also swam and uh, i was um, uh, a really good swimmer i uh, i was swimming in the olympic trials etc but i preferred golf and i wouldn't train in the, in the summertime for the swimming so <laughs> The coaches eventually said, you know, just take up golf. So that's what I did.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Seemed to work out for you either way. Yeah, but, but it seems like you're an incredible athlete considering, you know, you picked up golf so quickly. You started winning a bunch, uh, you know, going to Olympic trials for swimming. So what was it about golf that just got you hooked?
2: You know, I think it was because it was uh, hard to master and, um, I was probably pretty stubborn. I still am. Um, not stubborn in the context that I'm going to create an argument, but one that, um, if I can't achieve something personally, like, uh, I'll keep diving into it. And, and there was a lot of, you know, golf is a complicated game. I mean, it's not one swing for all shots. You, you know, you have to learn, knock down shots, draw a fade, short irons, you know, lob wedges, mid irons, well, you know, fairy woods driver they they don't all have the same swing and potting in particular, you know, is completely different than anything else. So I think it was the challenges that uh, the game presented that uh, kept me kept me going. I mean, in a lot of ways, that's what turned turns people off. But people like me and there's a lot of us that um, that 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 probably drives us more than anything.
0: Well, I know the string of amateur titles, Mike. I don't know if you brought it up, but if you go on, I think it's a PGA of Manitoba Golf Hall of Fame. Uh, or th- through the website. I mean, it's a laundry list of accomplishments, absolutely incredible. Even knowing you from Assiniboine Golf Club uh, when you were bringing around and repping jazz, I had no idea the accomplishments you had before that. So you are a Golf Hall of Famer for good reason. Uh, just the amount of amateur championships, juniors, the Wellington Cup teams, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, representing the Bison province. Did you ever get tired of winning?
2: Well, I mean, it's a great question. Uh, you know, there is a point in time when you when you realize you have to move on to, you know, to improve your game. And, you know, I think the proudest achievement that I had as a golfer was being the first Canadian to ever go to school at the University of Miami on a golf scholarship. Um, I didn't start off on a full scholarship. It was a partial scholarship, and it ended up after the first year of full ride. And I won several college tournaments, went on to play PGA Tour events. Uh, played some of the Canadian tour did pretty well actually for the amount that I played at the same time I was playing the Canadian tour I ran three golf stores called the Caddy Shed so you know I was always busy and um, and and to be honest with you uh, playing golf for a living uh, when I graduated in 1981 the top money winner Tom Kite he made just under uh, just over four hundred thousand dollars and back then you know you had a couple hundred thousand in expenses it wasn't that much money. And my dad actually said to me, do you actually want to play tour golf? I said, I'm not sure there's no money in it. Mm-hmm. Having said that, if it, if it was 2023, when I graduated, I'd be right there, baby. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's a different story. Now, all you got to do is one, one tournament and you are golden and you don't even have to win. You just got to be in the top 10 a few times. And I was definitely at that level when I would graduate in 81. So it's just changed. Um, was I tired of winning? Never, um, but that I wanted to continue to grow. Yes, and uh, in order to do that, you had to move on to uh, warmer climates where you, where your training was didn't stop all the time. That's changed, by the way, uh, with indoor golf in Canada, and you've seen that over the last twenty years. Interesting statistic, you know, Jr. Mike, hockey never grew in Canada until it went indoors, and that's. A- true stat guys will argue with that but statistically it's true and and golf is a much better place in canada now because we can we don't really have an off season you can train in the off season and that's really what i'm doing now
0: well i I guess turning back the clock a little bit too there did you get any lessons did you work with a pro or professionals or is it self-taught okay
2: no no we um Um, My dad was one of uh, Winnipeg's uh, finest home builders. There was many. Uh, He was uh, very talented. Um, And he liked to gamble on the golf course because that was his shtick. Mm -hmm. So he would, uh, uh, he was like, he got to like about an eight handicap, but he would go challenge the pros and he'd say, you know, how much do you feel comfortable playing for it? He'd play him even. He'd lose more often than they win. (laughs) But uh, through that, uh, my dad, we got to know tons of golf pros. Um, I mean, I took lessons from just about everybody. uh, And I was very uh, conscious to just take what I liked about what they were teaching me and kind of make my own uh, philosophy out of it. And later on in life, when I went to school, University of Miami, Bob Tosky was my coach. Still a very good friend. I believe he's 94 now. Um, but Bob toski was one of the greatest golf coaches in the history of golf during my era. And um, Ken Venturi was a University of Miami golf team uh, affiliated golf coach too. Ken Venturi w- uh, was Nathaniel Crosby, um, godfather. And Nathaniel played on our golf team from, uh, I believe, seventy-eight uh, uh, 79 to 81. Well, even
0: bringing up the University of Miami, how does someone from here, Winnipeg, get involved with the university of Miami.
2: It's a short story, but it's a good story. So, um, mm-hmm. a friend of mine, Daryl McDonald, who just retired, uh, as the golf pro in Edmonton, Daryl was one of the best golfers to ever come out of Winnipeg, uh, him and Billy Parker, Billy Parker had won the Canadian juvenile. I can't remember the year, uh, Daryl and I, uh, Daryl and him were the same age I was a year younger. Billy had signed with Indiana uh, Craig Dearden had gone. Eddie Dearden's son, Eddie Dearden, was a great sports writer in Winnipeg. Still with us, uh, Craig had gone to Indiana. Billy signed with Indiana. Darryl uh, didn't sign with anywhere, um, and and but Darryl went to play a tournament called the Junior Orange Bowl, uh, which is at the time was the world's largest junior golf tournament, and he, he did fairly well. And so, anyways, um, I asked Daryl how, how he got in, and he he gave me the name of the person I had to contact. I was 16, 17. And I contacted him, and I got a letter about a month later saying, yeah, you know, you can play. So, when I was um, 16, I, I, 17, pardon me, I, I, I took a taxi cab to the Winnipeg Air International Airport, and I always worked in the summers cutting grass and stuff, and I, I tried to buy a ticket, and they wouldn't sell it to me. Because I wasn't 18, so they call my parents up, and they said, well, "You have a young son here that's trying to buy a ticket to Miami." And my mom gives the phone to my dad. He says, "Come home." I says, "No, I'm going. I got entered. I got inter- I got accepted to the uh, Junior Orange Bowl. I'm going." And he says, "Just come home." So I came home reluctantly, and my dad did a, a really great move. He said, "We're all going." And he bought all tickets, and we all went. I finished tied for seventh uh, with a guy named Gary Holberg, who was uh, who was uh, one of the top PGA became one of the top PGA tour players. Uh, I can't remember how term, how many tournaments he won, but I think about six. And tied with Gary, and I was given three scholarship offers: University of Miami, Duke University, and University of Florida. I graduated from high school early. I didn't take any spares, so I graduated a half a year early. And uh, my dad said, "You can go down if if you here's two thousand dollars. When you run out, you run out." But I had a couple of grand on of my own too, so I went down there and I checked out the university. I mean, I asked Dr. Hughes and at the time the coach. I said, "If I qualify as a freshman, will I get to play?" He said, "Yes." I went to see Buster Bishop down in central Florida at university of Florida. They had a great time back then, a great team back then. I said, uh, Mr. Bishop, if I qualify, will I get to play as a freshman. He said, no, no freshmen's play. So, you know, uh, I like Dr. Houston's response a lot better. So I called the coach at Duke <laughs> up and I said, you know, Miami has given me a chance to play if I'm a freshman. And to be honest with you, sir, I like the weather down there. I'm from Winnipeg, Manitoba, so I won't be coming to see you in in the Carolinas. He said, I don't blame you, young man. Good luck down (laughs) in Miami. That was the story. So that's kind of how it happened.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think you mentioned you brought it up and saw seven collegiate titles.
2: Yeah, I mean, I played great. I had a great college career. Um, I played all over the world. Miami was a great place. They were connected to a lot of um, Central America um, uh, people. And I played the Panama Open, uh, many tournaments all over Central America. And what was cool back then, Miami wasn't like it was back. Like, like Miami is big. Uh, but, but it wasn't insanely crazy. Like, the traffic was nuts, but it was no bigger than Winnipeg to me. I mean, Winnipeg is a great place to come from because it's a big city. You're used to traffic. Um, you know, it's a very diversified culture in Winnipeg. And Miami was very, you know, kind of European, a lot of Spanish, but people from all over the world. Um, and, you know, I I, I left home kind of early I, I, I when I was, like, only 17 and a bit. And uh, I had a lot of support from the family. Uh, as long as I was competing they were supporting me and I was playing great golf and I, and, and I wasn't afraid. Like, uh, I try to qualify for everything, every pro event that I could get into, et cetera. And, and um, I remember one year I, I, I didn't play too well in the Dixie amateur was kind of ticked off. And my dad said, well, look, here's a hundred bucks. Go try to qualify for the Jackie Gleason. in very classic. It was at my home course called Kendall lakes. And I shot uh, 200 two on her a really terrible day made the uh, qualifying for it, and then I made the cut at the Jackie Gleason, which is a P.J. Tour event. Wow. And what was interesting, Danny Halderson was there that year, and after I made the cut, he said, put your name in the book. I said, what do you mean? Put your name in the book, because back then if you made the cut, you could put your name in the book and be automatically exempt for the next tournament. So I put my name in the book, and I made it uh, to Durrell, and I uh, and I was on my 21st, 21st birthday I played uh, the Doral Eastern turn open. Um, later on in life, and this is a really good story. Um, Nathaniel Crosby and I met at the PGA sh- at the PJ show I, you know 25 years later. And he said, Hashimoto, you got one unique uh, distinct feat and quality that nobody ever uh, can say that they have except you. I said, what's that, Nate? He said, you're the last amateur to qualify to make the cut in the PJ Tour event. Put your name in the book and get exemption to the next event because all the pros complained about <laughs> <laughs> that I was taking a spot. So the PJ Tour stopped that, and that's a true story, Manitoba. <laughs> there you go. Take it, but that was Danny Halderson, and who's a well, obviously one of the mm-hmm. greats from Manitoba, no longer with us, and um, uh, what a great guy he was to share that with me.
0: You changed golf history.
2: We did baby Manitobans <laughs> all the way. We're really the tough guys.
0: <laughs> That's why it's so surreal. Like I can't imagine if people, did they just think you were from the middle of nowhere when you were down there or did they really care? You said it was kind of like.
2: I tell you, know, you what, i tell you what, my dad, you know, some people will think I was spoiled, but I worked for it. Um, but my dad bought me a new car in 1977. It was a T-Bird. And I took it down to Miami. And you know how we have electric cores at the front for our, our block heaters? Yeah. So we're stuck on, uh, we're going to keep a skein for practice. And uh, these hot chicks in a convertible jag pull up beside me. And uh, they said, uh, What's that cord for in front of the car? And it's on my father's ashes. I said, This is the first electric car from Canada. And they bought it. They thought it was unbelievable. And, uh, you know, like, like I mean, they didn't have a clue where Manitoba was. I remember getting a speeding ticket going through Alabama. And back then, you know, my name is Hashimoto. I was a little scared going through a few states, driving to school and back through. And this was one of them. The guy pulled me over for speeding. I wasn't going that fast. And he says, where the heaven is Manitoba? I said, well, we're just above North Dakota. And the guy says to me, where's North Dakota? I said, well, about 500 miles north of Minneapolis, Minnesota. He says, where's Minnesota? I said, you know what? It's a different part of the world. It's a different country. He looks at me like I'm I'm stoned. He says, go home, get the hell out of here and be safe. And that was it. I mean, they had no damn idea where any of the sorts above. If you were north of Georgia, they didn't have any idea where you were. (laughs) <laughs> where you were from. So that I mean things have changed, right? But that's the way it was back then. Mm-hmm.
0: Who are some of the people you used to play against here uh, in in the province before you made your way to to Miami? Or was there much competition?
2: Well, oh no, there was no competition. <laughs> no, no. Uh, I'll tell you what, uh, if I have a golf if I had a golf game, uh, a lot of it was due in part to Darren McDonald and Billy Parker. We were great friends. Um, but we 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 wanted to beat each other so bad. And, um, they were great golfers. Uh, they were from my era. Uh, Daryl McDonald's was at Millwood. He was at Cause I remember, um, uh, I was, the, I, I, I never really, I was always a, uh, a professional player. I was never a club pro, but one year I served as a club pro at, at Bell Acres because I needed to get, uh, access to pro line equipment. So my dad said, uh, you know, if you take this job, you know, you can get access to that. So anyways, I, I took it and, uh, but I, I knew I was going to quit it. And when I quit, I, I, before I quit, I said to Darrell, I'm going to depart in this job. Um, why don't you get, why don't you do an interview with Ray, Ray Turnbull, who was the owner of the course. And uh, he got he interviewed. Well, that was his first head pro gig. And later on when Daryl became the head pro of Millwoods, he was my number one jazz golf uh, customer in all of Alberta because, and we were great friends, and we still are. And, um, uh, but Darryl McDonald and Billy Parker, and he's Dr. Billy Parker, the, those two guys, we all competed hard. Uh, Craig Dearden, uh, a, a great golfer. The, Kevin Snell, uh, great golfer. Halderson was a little bit pre-era, but not much, uh, maybe f- five years. Um, so they were already on tour when I was starting to go to college. But what was cool about Danny and those guys and uh, Dave Barr, they'd all come down to Miami and play golf and practice in the winter. So I'd see him when I was down at the U. So um, you know, you, it was great, and, and there was just a ton of great golfers: Jean-Guy Dumont, Yves Tremblay from Quebec, all the guys on a national basis. Um, they they all we all push each other. It was great camaraderie, um, but we all it was different back then. Uh, you know, today in those days you hit balls to your hands bled. The, the new methodology is to to, to to avoid doing that, to avoid future injury down the road. And it's a better way, uh, more thought into your practice sessions, um, a different type of training. Back then, we just hit the buckets, hit the range. I mean, we literally would hit 600 to 1,000 balls a day. I, I enjoyed it. I, it. The more my hands hurt, the more I felt I was um, achieving. It wasn't necessarily true but it was what we thought at the time.
0: Yeah. I was going to say how things change. Well, even I think VJ, you always used to talk about VJ Singh hitting, you know, a thousand balls a day, that sort of thing. But yeah, like you mentioned, <laughs> yeah, not, and, not the same thing and, anymore.
2: <laughs> no. And you know, what was really cool too, when I was a kid, um, like when I was 14, I really was, um, I, I had begun to separate myself from most of the local talent. Um, in fact, I had, um, and, but the pros would play with me. I'll tell you something. I was a member at St. Charles and Breezy Bend all my life. Breezy Bend first and then later on both. Um, but back then when I was like 13, I, I, I broke part for the first time when I was 13. I remember that the guys would call me up on the weekends and say, you know, we'd like you to play with the club champion uh, and you can, we'll let you play in the morning because back then juniors couldn't play until 2 p.m. at Breezy Bend. Um, and so St. Charles, same thing. Uh, Smiley Moronic, um, you know, S- uh, Steve Bannentine, uh Gavin Spears, um, Bobby Dunbar, uh, um, Dave Hill, all great players. Uh, and then, you know, Terry Moore was in the scene uh, back then, too. And then the golf pros, uh, when I was 14, they all began to ask me to play with them. And and so, you know, Jimmy Collins, um, I can't think of all the names. I'm going to miss them. I apologize. I'm 65, so I do not remember everybody now. But uh, (laughs) you know, I asked Steve Sikolak, who was my putting coach. Um, uh, Man, I can see the guys, but I just can't say the names then. They would all ask me to come out and play because I, I I enjoyed kicking their ass and they knew that I had a cocky attitude, but I didn't I didn't you know I didn't challenge them, I just I was just wasn't afraid of them and they and they wanted to see that they were really supportive, and and then Winnipeg you know back then in those days I don't know what it's like anymore, but we had great media uh, Jack Matheson Eddie Dearden. Oh, boy I want to miss some people here. Um, and I don't want to do that, but, uh, it, I'm missing them, but they always write about you. So they were building your ego, but at the same time, my dad had a really good handle on me. We knew that, that what they written, what they would write, it, 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 it was flattering, but we didn't let it go to our heads. Um, we knew we were just, uh, just average rug rats that were playing golf, hmm. but the media was so supportive. Um, Mount total golf really grew with some real talent. Um, after I went to Miami, probably one of the coolest things that happened was a guy named Mark Chamberlain, who had won the Canadian Junior. Um, I can't remember the year exactly. He followed a path, and uh, Mark became uh, an attorney. He still lives down in Miami, I believe. Um, um, but he he actually represented uh, John Daly uh, in a clothing in, in, for some clothes. I forgot the name of the clothes that he was representing. But um, a lot of people followed us. But uh, back then in my day, guys, nobody had golf scholarships. There was just a couple. So there was no path. I believe that probably the thing I'm most proud of is the path that we generated for everybody. Um wasn't hard as hard as it is now to, say, make a team, because if you were a, a, a scratch golfer, if you could shoot between 73 and 70 most of the time, you, you could have a good college career.
0: Yeah, and we've definitely talked to a, a few folks who did, and, well, quite a few of the players, Uh, That we spoke with uh, even back in the day, right? Like they started out collegiately in the in the states, and now we're we're still getting some that are doing that as well. You did mention media. Oh, go ahead. If
2: you play D one, if you play D one golf, it was the same in my era. If you play D one golf in the United States, you are that's professional golf. You're good enough to play, Um, but you're going to break the tiers. You might not be in the top one third, but you're definitely going to make. You're definitely in the in the bottom one third. And you might even be in the middle one third. And if you're in the top 10 percentile of college golf today, you're definitely in the top third caliber of a PGA Tour player. The courses are no different than what you play at the college level, the conditions are the same. But, but I, you know, Nathaniel Crosby was Ben Crosby's son. So uh, I played with him at a golf tournament, the Canadian Amateur Level, sort of lack. And I think in around 78, and I was paired with him all three rounds. He was staying at Beaconsville with a guy named Dick Irvin who was the voice of the Montreal Canadiens. You may remember him. And so I said to Nathaniel, you got to play in Miami, man. And my coach let him, uh, ind- I introduced him to my golf coach, Dr. Richard Thomas at the time. He brought him down to Miami, and he ended up playing in Miami. But he was still running the um, the Bing Crosby, you know, the clamp. Uh, it became the AT&T. But um, everybody would be calling Nate to get their dads. Like Tom Crate would be calling him up. Um, Jack Nicholas would be calling him up. Hey, can you get, you know, my dad or my brother-in-law in the, the pro-am, blah, blah, blah. So we got to know a lot of the guys, like a lot of the great touring pros. Um, I, I can't think of all the names, but um, I remember Tom Kite one day when we were playing golf, he said to me, you just don't know how good you're going to be until you get out here. You get caught in the, in, the, in, in the vortex. And sure enough, that's true. I mean, like when you're playing with guys that are uh, at the same level or better than you all the time, you don't want to be left behind and you just get caught up in it. You don't know how you do it, but you get caught up to it. It's kind of like two hockey players, pretty same speed, like Bobby Hall, how fast was he on the ice? But a lot of guys, you know, were faster just because they try to keep up the Bobby. They not, been, might not have been as fast as Bobby, but they, they were faster when they were playing with him for sure. We take a quick break to hear from
0: Bryce Madlachowski, who is an investment advisor with Endeavor Wealth Management, part of IA Private Wealth, and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund.
3: Well, Bryce, it's uh, it's great to uh, to have you on and to have a quick chat. My first question is, uh, what can an investment advisor like yourself from Endeavor Wealth uh, do for me, and how can that differ from my my current experience of trading with Wealthsimple, uh, just based on my the recent Twitter feeds.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for having me on, you guys. Yeah, d- discount brokers like Well Simple uh, certainly have their place. Uh- but at the end of the day, you get what you you pay for uh, those platforms are very limited in what they offer and they're more ideal for just basic trading. So if that's what you're looking to do, and it, it's really not a bad platform for that, but what we do at endeavor, uh, we take a more holistic approach. Uh, we examine an individual's needs uh, both short-term and long-term, and we go way beyond just investments. We look for tax opportunities, ensuring the decisions you are making today, uh, minimize your overall tax that you might be paying. Uh, we also help our clients address estate and insurance needs. So really anything we can do to uh, assist in your overall wealth management approach. And going back to some of those discount brokers and, and, and things that you see on the internet, uh, a lot of times people don't realize the amount of intrinsic risk that they're taking on with, with making some of those trades. And so finding balance is is another key thing that we do for our clients at at Endeavor.
0: That was Bryce Maliszewski, who is an investment advisor with Endeavor Wealth Management, part of IA Private Wealth and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund. You can contact Bryce at 204-515-3446. You did mention media and media today. And Mike texted me today uh, to go check out Winnipeg Sports Talk with Andrew Hustler Patterson, who mm. uh, was on season one of the the show here of the podcast. And then Jeff J. Hamilton, who uh, is now uh, one of the uh, top sports writers, probably in the country, I would say. Uh, he was repping the 18 over par podcast hat. So I want to give a shout out to J. Ham and, and Hustler for showing some love mm. to the podcast today. A live awesome. feed, live feed from uh Ham's car. He's uh, a—he's <laughs>
3: yeah. so dedicated that he—he uh, he was on vacation and he was talking bombers and and jets and and everything else. And all the uh, shit
0: he had in the back of his vehicle.
3: Yeah, <laughs> he, he had his clubs there too. So yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, Ash, uh, yeah, you talk about you talk about kind of making that decision. Pro may not be the the route for you. And then uh, you, you mentioned Caddy Shed, and you must have started Caddy Shed right out of university, it seemed, looking at the
2: timeline. How old were you? I forgot my age. Well, 1981, I've been 23. I graduated when I was in um, uh, in 1981. Uh, interest rates were 21% plus. <laughs> wow. Um, you couldn't get a job. Um, my dad uh, and I were pretty tight, and um, I really didn't want to come home, but he needed some help in his business. And I said, okay, I'll come home. And um, uh, I couldn't, there was no real like nobody was buying real estate. So that wasn't working out. So I'd work at a restaurant called Farrell's on Portage Avenue. Uh, Philip Anastasis Diaz owned it. And um, he had some space that was vacant. And I was always paddling golf clubs and shoes and putters just to make a little extra cash. He said, you should open a store. So we made a deal that I would uh, put some clubs in, in one of his storefronts on, and he, he would charge me a percentage of sales. He wouldn't charge me rent. And then one day, uh, cause I was only open sporadically. A guy put a sign on my window and it said, if you're not going to be open regular hours, you'll never make it in business. Well, I don't know if you remember how I told you I got hooked on golf. I was competitive against myself and, This really irked me, but he was right. So I made a deal with Phil. We, we, we for some permanent rent and we started selling golf clubs back then, uh, they wouldn't sell me pro line golf clubs, but there was a pro in, in Winnipeg named Gary Curtis who ran the canoe club and Curtis and I were good friends because he was Jimmy Roy's assistant when we were playing indoor golf at St. Boniface. And so we became great friends. And he was a bit of a street hustler, like a great guy, I, you know, he'll do all sorts of deals. And uh, so I'd pay Gary 10% over cost, put the pro line stuff in the shop and I'd take a 10% margin because I'm really not paying for much, more, uh, much for rent. And that's how it became. That's how I got started. Hmm. Very cool.
3: Yeah. And I, I don't know. Yeah. I think I had read that there was three stores at one point. I know there's, there's still one on portage avenue there and we, and we go visit uh them and darren and the boys out there uh quite often so they're still uh, well, still that, existing
2: keats was um uh darren was uh, gary's assistant pro a really good operator um the in 1981 to about uh 19 uh, they bought it off me i believe 86 87 um we took that business from zero to well over a million dollars at the 2630 uh, Portage Avenue location. My mom's here downstairs. She just landed from Winnipeg. I want to tell you a short story. So can't remember the exact year, but when we moved from the location, which is right on the entrance to St. Charles golf course, by the way, Mm -hmm. um, we moved to a permanent uh, spot. It was a uh, used car wash that became a fireplace store. And, uh, we needed the cash flow, so we had to move all the inventory and be open the next day. <laughs> we moved. We had, we had to do the the uh, the uh, fi- you know we had, we did all the fixtures by ourselves. So we were in there uh, literally two days in a row. I hadn't slept, and my mom's doing all the vacuuming, and because we got dust everywhere because we're breaking down all the old fireplaces, setting up all golf racks and stuff. Two days we stayed up. My mom stayed up with me, and so did my dad. And we had that store open uh, without without uh, um, any any stoppage in retail sales. Wow. And uh, I don't, we, we my mom and dad actually fell asleep on the floor, on a <laughs> cement floor, but uh, it wasn't for my mom and dad, we wouldn't have been able to get that store open. But uh, that store still remains an open today. I would have to tell you, I was thinking about this the other day. Candy Shed is probably the oldest golf store in Canada. I'm pretty sure of that actually. Hmm.
0: Yeah, like you got you got to think that would would have been yeah like the original. All they could withstand um,
2: yeah. and keep going. You know, we uh, Esso and I became great friends because we competed against each other, but we go out for beers. And I can say this now because he's not alive. Um, and God rest his soul. But Dale, we make an agreement. Like, okay, you know, uh, you're going to put this club on sale this week. We're going to do. Uh, we'll be high on that club uh this week we'll have another club on sale this week but you know and we were, we were friends we didn't want, we 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 all had to make money right and um but how I really got started in the club business is that and is that back in the early 80s the uh, like Callaway made, well Tenamed wasn't really around then Ping uh Titleist well Titus wasn't really around then in the clubs either but um Spalding was big uh you know, Daiwa was big. They wouldn't sell us those clubs. They, they said it was golf courses only like green grass only. Mm. So I got kind of ticked off and there was a guy in Brandon. Um, you guys got to, might help me out. I can't think of his name right now. Repairing clubs, Richard bull and Richard bull was bringing in heads and putting shafts on him and doing a good job. And I went and saw uh, Richard and, um, he was very helpful. um, and as I told you, my father was a builder. So for me, uh, you know, uh, building stuff was always things i like to do. So we figured out how to build clubs. And I started going down to Newark, Ohio and buying heads off a guy named Joe Altamonte he owns a company called Pell Joey's son does. And we would just tag on by, you know, a few hundred sets here and there. And next thing you know, we're buying a thousand sets and, as a home builder, my dad, before he passed, he told me, says, I asked him, I said, what made you such a good home builder? He said, it's the first time he really took me seriously because he knew his health was in trouble. And he said, all you got to do is you've got to be organized. You've got to have the best sub trades and you've got to have the best quality products uh, um, components, you know, best wood, best lumber, best everything. And we, we followed that philosophy we always use premium grade aldilla Always use Graffaloid premium grade. We use always use the best stuff. And then you know, I started to learn more and more about heads, what the materials made were made of. And next thing you know, I'm building pretty good, high quality clubs on a repetitive basis. And we're building fifty to hundred sets a weekend, and uh, we had a real assembly line going on there. And that was the beginning of how I learned how to make all clubs. But the pre- the catalyst for this was. We couldn't buy pro-line clubs, and all the pros were screaming. They, I mean, we get along now well, and I have no animosity, but back then they hated us, and um, we were a public enemy number one. And uh, Dale Esopinka, however, on the other hand, wasn't. He supported us because he wanted the competition. Essel loved the competition, and he wanted to give people the best value for the clubs, and that's all we really were trying to do. Um, the pros took it the wrong way. We had lots of disagreements. There was lots of problems. Um, the pros would come in back then and they'd take, uh, we got charged by a retail sales tax for uh, fraudulently publishing sales pricing. They, We did. We won, but um, I won't tell you the name of the pro, but, but <laughs> if I still see that guy, I don't hold it against him. Back then, that's just the way it was because it was support your pro, and I always supported that pro. That was the irony of it. Even back then when I was a member at St. Charles or Breezy Band, which I was both, every spring my dad insisted we'd walk in and buy a pair of new shoes just to support the, the, the pro. And even when I had the caddy shed and I was selling shoes, I'd walk into St. Charles and, or, and Breezy Bend buy a new pair of shoes. And, um, you know, but that's just the way it was back then. It was kind of like you know how everything changed with discrimination and everything like that. But we, we were really, I was public enemy number one. At the same time I'm playing top golf and that's even pissing them off more. So, um, and you know, that, that but I, it it kind of shaped me a little bit. I wasn't always a complete dickhead, but, um, you know, and I'm not, but, but I mean like it, 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 it gave me an edge cause I had already had one, but it just sharpened it and it made me better.
0: Well, you, you brought up Dale Esipenko and wow. I mean, that's just the history in that last two minutes, uh, phenomenal uh, of how really, you know, the, the golf in this country uh, was shaped and it was shaped here with the, the independent golf retailer, um, which, uh, is exciting and, you know, impressive. And then you look at Dale Esipenko, he was one of the pros that had the pro shop and was all about that. So the, the former, head golf professional at a golf club where I started when I was 12 years old. And that's where I, I met you originally because yeah, jazz, jazz golf claim. I still have a jazz wedge in my bag.
2: There you, well, you know, jazz golf was a great story, uh, but the, the, the SO was from Yorkton, Saskatchewan, as you know, and my mom's from uh, Dauphin, Manitoba. And we both have one thing in common amongst the many others, but uh, uh, we both love borscht. So whenever I was traveling with jazz golf, I'd pick up a gallon. My mom makes the best Porsche. Mom, you make the best Borscht. But there was this <laughs> one place, uh, the Yorkton uh, Golf c- Golf Club, it had really the best Borscht I've ever had. <laughs> so I'd pick up a five-gallon pail of Borscht every time I went to Yorkton, which was about, you know, once every summer. And I'd deliver it to Essel. And and we'd sit there and we'd eat at least one gallon of it our, our ourselves. And, um, but I mean, pierogies and Borscht, made Esso and I uh, best of friends. And we've been, you know, and, and when he was ill, um, you know, I, I, I did my best to um, take him out, entertain him. And I knew the writing was on the wall. as you know, he suffered from colitis and um, uh, he was in a lot of pain. And back then they didn't know a lot about all those painkillers affected your, your, your insides, your internal organs. And I'm sure if they had that knowledge that we do now, uh, Dale would have lived uh, a lot longer.
0: Yeah. And I mean, yes, uh, you know, Dale, a phenomenal imprint on, on golf in, uh, in the city, in the province, uh, in the country, uh, as well as yourself. And even with jazz golf, like how, how, where did the name come from? How did you, you know, how long did you guys stick around story.
2: Great story. So I'm at a PGA show. One of the first ones I ever attended, and uh, there's two parts to the story. It's really short. I, I walk all the way from one end of the show to the other. It takes about 40 minutes, literally just walking it because it's really busy back then. The shows were insane. I turn around and I say, "Look at all that jazz!" Mm-hmm. and boom, because I was living in Montreal at the time, and it really pissed me off that the bay, the Hudson Bay, was called La Bay. B-A-E, because in Quebec, you had to change the name of your company to a French name. That was the rule back then. So I wanted to come up with a name that didn't need to be translated to piss all those people off. And I love the Quebec, but I'm just saying. And, um, you know, I married a girl from Searle, Quebec. So, I mean, obviously, I love Quebec. But I said, frig you, I'm going to come up with a name that doesn't have to be changed. And jazz just kind of kind of worked. I got a lot of great stories behind it, but uh, I said jazz it is, and um, we developed a lot of cool things. Jazz the world's first speed rated series of shafts. We developed the first hybrid. We developed the 500 cc driver, which got us in trouble with Dick Thomas, uh, the uh, CEO of of the USGA. He came up to Canada just to see me. I can't tell you what I said to him, but uh, it was cool. It wasn't uh, wasn't nice stuff. Um, but, uh, we developed a lot of things. We developed the first, um, grooves that went through the toe of the face, um, to kind of make a, a small club look larger. Uh, we, 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 did a lot of, a lot of great work there and we have we had over hundred employees at our peak and, um, I can't remember the exact year, but it was in and around 2002. Um, we were, our, our plant was, um, originally, uh, jazz golf started in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, um, we had done a deal. I, I was uh, at least a golf course off Roger Penske called Apollo Beach Golf and Sea Club down in in, in uh, Brandon, Florida. And, uh, this guy named Eric Antonini came down to see me. He said, we're looking for a brand, a name. Um, and I know we've got the shafts called jazz shafts. We think it's a cool name. Uh, can we do a deal? And, um, you know we'll build the clubs for you in in Saskatoon but um they owned a company that had two hundred and fifty handicap employees called Cosmopolitan Industries and there's about 80 handicapped employees group palsy down syndrome trauma. and when I flew up there to take a look at it, um, I was touched and I I was in awe of how they had set up the jigs so, even the most challenged person could just put a shaft into the jig would sand the tip. And I said, yeah, okay, we're going to do a deal. Then in 93, my dad died, did that for a few years. And, um, uh, one of my dad's old business partners from Japan, Ono Hiro Ono came to see me and he said, uh, Terry son, you must go back to Winnipeg. And, you know, I didn't really want to go back. Um, but I, uh, thought about it and back then Gary Philman was the premier and I called the premier's office, and unbelievably, Gary Fillman picked up the phone. I explained the situation to him. And within two days, there was two guys from industry, trade, and tourism from Winnipeg come visit the plant in Saskatoon. And they gave us a $200,000 loan guarantee, and basically it was forgiven. And I, and I had two hundred saved up the same. And here, hero put up 200, and then I met a guy named uh, Jeff Gidney through my friend Peter Young. And we basically had a million dollars to move uh, the plant back to Winnipeg. So that's when the decision was made to move to Winnipeg, and that's what it became. We said, no more screwing around. We're going to use our own designs, our own heads. And I, by that time, I had accumulated the knowledge of, of the foundries and the relationships that were required And uh, we built a good business. Um, But in 2002, 2003, what happened was, is that people started building the clubs offshore. So um, we were always, my goal was very simple. I wanted to be a B plus golf club. Um, Our pricing was based on a one-year-old premium brand club. So I would always look at what, say, a Callaway would get for a used set of irons. And I wanted to be a little bit lower than that so that, because uh, you know, price still it was a little price more, a little more price sensitive back then. So if you could buy a complete set of golf clubs for custom fitted length, lie, loft, grip size, and flex, I could never fit, never forget the five fundamentals of shaft fitting: length, lie, loft, grip size, and flex. And then I knew Gavin Spears, who was um, who had was in a printing business, and we we would tag each club with every person's name with their names on it. A really cool little thing. So, mm-hmm. and then we would get the guys to sign, uh, like a bag tied, uh, a, these clubs personally assembled for you by so and so. Now, this is was my greatest moment uh, in 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 marketing history. So, when we first moved back to Winnipeg, you know, all the pros said, "Hey, these clubs aren't very good." They literally tore us apart. And but every every other province, I was a hero. But what I did one winter was I hired all all the assistant pros and I paid them cash so they could. I can say this stuff now. I paid them cash so they could collect their pogey and uh, and they. But they went back after that winter and they were telling all their members, "Yeah, you know these clubs are pretty good. I worked on them all winter." Next thing you know, we're good.
3: <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Well played. That was going to be one of my questions: Was were you making these clubs in Winnipeg, or you know, is it a an assembly? But it sounded like it sounds like you're making a lot of these. Uh, it
2: was all out of Winnipeg, or we made everything in Winnipeg. The heads came from the Orient, the shafts came from the states, and so did the, the rips. Yeah, um, I, I re- I've I've developed a lot of relationships here in PI, but there's a little nine-hole track here called Belfast Island Greens. And they recently put in two simulators, which I helped them, uh, uh, you know, accomplish their goals. Um, and th- we converted that into a jazz museum. But one of the pieces that that I kept was the original blueprints of our plant down on McDermott and Arthur. It was a 20,000 square foot plant. And the, one of my greatest achievements from my perspective was, is that uh, the way I laid it out, and we have the blueprints, It never changed because I never wanted anybody to move more than five feet, five, 10 feet max. So when you cut the shafts, you put them in a stand, then the guy would sand the tips. He passed them off, put the ferrules on it. Then they go to the bonding table. The heads were already prepped in the previous table, hand them off to them. They bond it, then they'd grip it, then they'd clean it, and they'd box it. But um, it was very smooth, ran beautifully, and I can still remember with great fondness every spring – um, you know, getting the heads is one thing because uh, it's a difficult process. You have to time your heads a year out back then, uh, and it's even worse now. Um, getting a little better, I heard, but we'd have to plan our designs a year in advance, and we'd have to lay out our cash a year in advance, get all the heads in, get all the shafts in, get all the grips in, have the labor ready, and then you'd have to have it assembled. But every spring, you know, uh, February, late February, March, you're, you've got 100 people working in there. You've got all these clubs being built. You're building thousands of individual pieces a day. You've got uh Campar, You've got FedEx. You've got UPS. You're shipping four truckloads to six truckloads a day. We were hopping and it was exciting times and we were developing, we were creating work. Um, it, m- m- one of the things that I'm most proud of, we created employment. And that was really the goal.
1: Mm-hmm
3: you you guys were utilizing lean manufacturing before
2: even lean manufacturing was uh, was around well, yeah, well at it, least in north exactly. america maybe we, well you know uh, I, I did go to school and one of the things we did study was uh, you know time management and uh, I always uh, i mean the one thing that none of us can take back is the time that we spend on projects or whatever it might be um, so you want to be, be efficient, and I think we really were. Uh, subsequent to Jazz Golf, I developed many technologies. Um, and later on in my life, uh, we, you know, at the current date, uh, we, I've been in the technology business for almost 13, 14 years, and uh, we've developed some incredible tools that have changed the uh, scope really globally of the way people train, teach, uh, quantify, use objective data, not only for golf, but medical applications as well so was that an
0: an easy seamless direction of your career then was to get into the technology side of things because it seems like if it was in the 2000s that's kind of was the beginning of really technology i guess as we know it now
2: i was in georgetown uh ontario um, with a fellow that wanted to be my rep and i was on the driving range and Belltronic was demonstrating, or they were testing a little radar device, which is called the Belltronic radar. And I was hitting balls. and I was talking to them, and they said, well, look, why don't you try it? I tried it. I said, I know how to use this. What do you mean? I know how I can use this to fit shafts. So they they said, you want to be part of our beta program? I said, absolutely. So what I did was is I took the general characteristics of golfers swinging uh, between 60 and 70 miles an hour, 70 and 80, 80 and 90, 90 to 100, 100 plus, and I called it the Jazz 70, Jazz 80, Jazz 90, Jazz 100, and Jazz 100 plus. So we were fitting shafts based on speed back then, because keep in mind, launch monitors had not been developed. And we built the, I built the world's first speed-rated series of shafts, and, and many, many, every, in fact, everybody copied us. We gave it to a Graffaloid to use because uh, they were my key supplier back then. Later on in life, I uh, just recently, exactly almost to a year today, I sold a uh, what was called Swing Balance AI. I developed an algorithm, um, uh, a formula that could calculate uh, how much load you were putting on a shaft when you stood on a body track pressure mat. And ironically, uh, uh, ex-Manitobian Tom Ralph, who has been living down in, in Texas for over 35 years, he's from Brandon, him and his uh, wealthy investor um, bought the company from me for a very handsome fee. And uh, they're currently in the middle of trying to sell that to a major OEM. I was going to wait longer, but um, um, the opportunity was correct. And uh, Some is going to Dalhousie. I didn't want the pressure from that. He, even though he's on scholarship for soccer, it just changed my life forever. But it was probably one of the greatest things I've ever done, keeping in mind I knew the load, I know how to build shafts, and I understood pressure mapping very well because I invented it. And when you stand on a pressure mat called BiTrack, which ironically is built in Winnipeg by a company called Vista Medical, uh, they're in Fort Gary, I could measure the way your pressure moves side to side, heel toe, tone up and down, X, Y, and Z. And I became very good at it and um, um, basically led the way for all pressure mapping tools on this planet. And um, I say that humbly um, because it was the material was the genius part of it. And that was actually built uh, by a guy named Jeff Taylor, who was from Manitoba. Uh, In fact, one of my highlights of my career before I left Winnipeg or maybe after I left Winnipeg, um, the Winnipeg Sun uh mentioned track as one of the uh top twenty inventions to ever come out of Manitoba. And I, I think that's true because we had it had medical applications which have not come to fruition completely, but we can measure we can measure your balance. So I can do what's called the clinical tests of sensory interaction of balance. I can tell you If you have a a balance issue, I can help you use it for uh, measuring your total jump test, which is a a, a test required for understanding objective data for performance for sports and or just human strength. And we can use it for spinal cord rehabilitation, uh, wheelchairs, et cetera. So any vestibular issue, um, I'm very proud of what we were able to achieve. Not going to make a lot of money on that. I made all my money on the AI um, which is my own development, but, but body track is a hundred percent made in Winnipeg. Uh, even the chips are made by E.H. Uh, e. Price, which is in Transcona. Some of the other materials come from other parts of the United States, but it's, it's, it's a legitimate, uh, unbelievable product. Um, it, it, they now make pressure beds where you actually sit and lay in the bed. I'm looking at one Um where you lay in it, it automatically adjusts by air the pressure with an air bladder, so you get a nice even sleep during your night, during during your sleep. So, it's a phenomenal material. Um, Vista Medical uh, is is an amazing company. How I got them, I had developed what was called an inertial measuring unit. If you Google my name and Pat, you'll see inertial measuring units. I developed with that with two young engineers out of Winnipeg, uh, Gordy Parks, who had just graduated from University of Toronto. Uh, in robotics, very smart guy, and uh, his his dad was a, was a very good friend of mine. And um, um, I asked them if they could, uh, if there was a way we could develop a, a, a little clip that would go on a club to measure swing path, angle, velocities, and speed. We did develop the patent, and that ended up being called SkyPro. And uh, you may the little clip that goes on the club. And you may remember Ping using it for putting, uh, where they would uh, measure the path and the speed, the tempo, et cetera. The inertial measurement units was, our, was, was my first patent. And um, uh, that's how I got into the tech business. But I originally wanted to use take an IMU, um, put a pressure sensor in your helmet, and uh, do online assessments for online neurological assessments for concussions. And we did, we did end up doing that, but the market uh, doesn't want it because a, the coaches don't want to know, the players don't want to know, and the teams don't want to know. So there's a, um, there's a myth here about concussions. Uh, We can actually measure it. We can measure the impacts. We can measure the three types of blows that neurologists are interested in, but to anybody that's listening, if, if they Tell you If the teams tell you they're interested in concussion assessments, uh, I call BS because I lived it. Um, We actually had a a concussion company called Head Health, and it didn't work. Um, The National Football League, the CFL, the NHL, they don't want to hear about it. I talked to Mark Chipman about it before I left Winnipeg. He loved the idea. Uh, He was very supportive. But he said, you're going to have to get it past the NHL Players Association when we talked to them they didn't want to hear about it. And, uh, so, you know, whoever's suffering from a concussion, I'm sorry for you. We could have helped you. Um, but the teams don't want to know about it. And that's the honest truth.
0: There we go. Some insider information, but I mean, thanks. Yeah, Yeah. it is. You got to understand the ins and outs of it too, right? You got to get all all sides of the story and it seems like we aren't getting the full story as you You, just pointed out. You're never
2: going to hear that story from anybody else with me. I can tell you some weird arguments I had with Bettman. He didn't like, he, he he won't, I I'm sure, I'm sure he remembers my name, um, because what was said was not nice. Um, and nobody was drinking. And, um, uh, he called me every name under the book and I did the same to him. And, uh, and it wasn't because he took the Jets out of Winnipeg a long time ago. Um, they, the <laughs> NHL is full of shit. They don't care about their players, uh, and neither does the NFL. Uh, I'm on the record now, so sue me. I don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, NFLs and NHL, you're, you're all bullshit when it comes to concussions. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's not the first time the NHL has been called out yeah. on this program. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> no.
2: and, and it's the same with the balance assessments. You know, like the medical world is funny. Um, Body Track is the number one selling golf pressure map, map mapping system in the world. I no longer am with Body Track. When I got into the AI, I got out of it. However, um, it's funny because culturally, Canada, we, we don't, we didn't sell. I, I focus all my energy in the United States and Europe and uh, Asia, we've got about 8,500 units worldwide, which is about uh, probably 8,000 more than any other company in the world because of our price point. The material was revolutionary. The patent is owned by Vista. It's a sensor fabric. They knew how to convert it into um, X, Y, and Z. And then I had to go on tour to learn how to use it. And basically, uh, my body of work is, has been used by everybody. Not everybody knows me, uh, but I was the guy that started it. I only say that because it's true, and I don't really care what everybody think. I'm going back into it now, but we're going to be using it more for training uh, in addition to um, – because we think golf rehab is not about rehabilitating an athlete when they're hurt. Golf rehab is about tra- is rehabbing the way the game is tra- is, is trained. So, like modern golf in Toronto has given us an opportunity to open up two stores—one with uh, in Oakville, one in Dartmouth. We're starting now, and the the notion is simple: like like everybody's got indoor simulators. Have you played them, you guys? Yes. Oh yeah,
3: Mike's yeah. a big all sim right, guy. Oh, he loves. All right, sims. so
2: you're a sim guy, and and I, I'm a golfer. We're both golfers, but I as as a as a former competitor, if once I play a simulator once, I'm kind of bored with it. And, you know, so there's alternative ways to use simulators. So we train while we're using the simulator on the range, in the range mode. And we're looking for new ways to train that'll help us find um, a better path and a better position while we're training. So that when I go out and play after a, a winter season of training, 50 minutes, maybe three times a week in the simulators, when I go out in the, in the spring, I'm going to be ready to play and, and be stronger. Because when you get older, you lose your glutes, you lose your range of motion in your ankle and feet. I'm a foot and ankle guy. I mean, I probably know more about foot and ankle than most physical therapists and occupational therapists, not because I'm smart, but because I hang around the best. I'm always the dumbest guy in the room, and they teach me this stuff. And, you know, recently about two well, during COVID, we did all the, the uh, research for square shoes, and it was very enlightening, and you had to know your stuff because you know they wanted the medical applications of the shoe. And so we've—I've been learning even—and I, I, I'm learning now about anatomy because and the muscular, um, uh, all the different muscles that are in play during all times of your game. Because it turns out when your lead arm is bending as you get older, like I, you know, you look like a hacker. It's not necessarily because you're losing strength in your arm. There's a whole array of, uh, of, of muscles um, that are that may be too tight or not strong enough that are affecting the way your arm is bending. So for me to straighten out my lead arm, which is my objective now for my own personal game, I have a particular issue in a muscle that's attached to your rib cage, and it's called the seriatis anterior. And I'm tight here, so if if I move too far in one direction, I can feel it. Not anymore because I've been working on it, and slowly by slowly, even though I'm aging, I'm going to get rid of that, that armband. And that's a, that's important for a guy like me. And there's a lot of people like me who don't necessarily want to play 18 holes anymore. Cause 18 holes is a pain in the ass. I live right over there uh, right behind me is Belvedere golf course. It takes, four, it's only four and a half hours to play. Um, but I I'm done after 12 holes, like nine, 10, 12 holes. I'm good. I, I'm, that's all the time I got to play golf. I want to play it well and I want to play it hard and I want to go after on the golf course when you get older 50 plus you're starting losing speed generally speaking when you turn 50 you're using you're losing a yard a year to your 60 when you're 60 you're losing two to five yards a year and so with our training methodologies which I didn't create we created it jointly with two particular doctors well three actually Dr. Jules Lacaze uh, out of Memphis Tennessee owns Rotex Motion which is a really cool device to measure your to improve your range of motion in your foot. Um, uh, Dr. Peter McKay, who was a founding member member of um, member of TPI, and then a uh, uh, Puggy Blackman, who is um, uh, was David Duval's coach at USC, and uh, we've been working together with them. and Our research centers are in two different locations: one here in PI, and one in Columbia, South Carolina, with Prisma Health. And we've just figured it out. Um, we're, we're, we're coming. We're going to come at it and we're going to perfect the craft over the next three or four months. We've spent seven years on this. And then we're going to license this license it out to people that like have indoor simulators and may see a drop in the trend. And it's interesting. And I need to share this with you, with you and your friends. You know, if you only have two Sims, probably you're going to be busy all the time. But if you've got 10 Sims, you may see a drop in the business because You know, it just, frankly, after a while for guys like me, it's boring as shit playing the same golf course over and over. And the putting sucks on the Sims and so does the chipping. So, you know, I mean, I don't care if you're using trap man or the most expensive infrared technology that are all very good. The yardages, spin rates, everything perfect, but that chipping and putting is bullshit. And I don't need that shit when I'm out there trying to, um, you know, have fun. And I don't like drinking when I'm playing golf. So and I would pound it back, I still, I I don't drink much anymore. (laughs) I've never had a drink on the golf course because to me, that was my office. So when I see guys getting hammered on the golf course, I just about vomit, but that's their gig, right? That's their stick. They want to get drunk. Um, I don't understand. (laughs) Well, I mean, is it, is it a social (laughs) game? I'm competing against myself. So, I mean, I'm looking in a goddamn mirror and say, I'm competing against me. I don't give a shit about that guy over there. You know, like, the hell with that son of a bitch. I, I don't want to look at them. I always tell, I, when I was a good competitive golfer, I'd never, uh, during well, not during a warm-up, I'd never look at the guys' practice swings during warm-up. Because to me, they always look good. They all look better than me. But I knew that I can't see my own swing. I don't know how good or bad I look. So it was my practice never to watch another guy practice until the tournament was over or well before the tournament so that I could observe it and learn from their practicing routine. But during the tournament, I never watched anybody. didn't give a shit about anybody except me. End of story. No, I like it. I like Sorry. It. I, I, I got a club
0: championship coming up, so I'm going to take that with me.
2: Take, take it. Well, cause trust me, they don't give a shit about you either. So it's, it's, it's angle in angle out. I don't care about you. You don't care about me. Good. We're even.
0: Oh, man. Well, well, that's awesome. We were going to bring up uh, golf rehab because you're repping the shirt right now. And yeah, baby. then uh, that's uh, that's incredible just to hear not just on the golf side of things, but also in the medical world. And you even brought up modern golf. We had Stu Bannentine, another great Winnipegger who has now the VP of modern golf. And uh, he was on the show earlier this season and actually had the chance to check him out uh, in Toronto. Check out a modern golf location, downtown Toronto.
2: Oakville, actually. we're gonna. Stu's Stu's heading it up. He's going to be opening up the Oakville store. The, the, the goods are there, the, the bars, the Rotex Motion, the devices. We're going to be using some of Jeff Dontis' tools as well. But we put it into a package, a 50-minute package. So when you're training, you're going to be getting more distance. And we have the objective data to validate that with also balance, improving your balance. Also, we do your tracement assessments. It's Argo goal. Uh, look at the number one way to recover from a, a concussion is the uh, proprioception from walking on uneven surfaces. Um, I said this to Sir Nick Faldon when I was working with him a few years ago because he had a uh, nephew that was concussed. I said, Sir Nick, the number one way to recover from a concussion is the proprioception from walking on uneven surfaces. He says, and I said, the last time I checked, that's called a golf course. So, you know, and, 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 so golf, you ever wonder why hockey players naturally gravitated at the golf is because after their hockey season, they're so screwed up. All they can <laughs> do is golf and they're walking on uneven lies. And you know, any athlete who played a contact sport, they're all concussed at the pro level. They're all messed up and golf is a great recovery sport. And that's our message to the masses. You know, everybody talks about growing a game, Bullshit. You're not growing a game by giving away free lessons. You're not growing a game by by giving your juniors a, a deal on Friday night at the bench. You're going to grow the game by getting new people who are hurt, who need to play golf for balance issues because golf is the most complicated series of, of motions ever invented in any sport. And if you're not in balance, you can't hit it right. So our training is going to get you in balance. It's going to allow you to hit the ball, make more solid contact. The number one way to gain distance period is to get pressure to the lead side early. The number one way to gain distance and low ballpoint control, consistent low ball point control is to get pressure to the lead side early and have the strength and stability to keep it there. And you can quote me on that every single time of the day, drunk stone or indifferent. I'll say that the same <laughs> way. And, um, and, uh, it, cause it's the truth. It's what I learned through body track and that's what we're doing with golf rehab.
0: Yeah. Mike, your balance is all fucked up, man. That's, that's maybe why.
2: <laughs> oh yeah.
3: Yeah. Well, I, I threw, through some research on, uh, on hash here. Yeah. I, 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 dove deep on the body track stuff and you know, where's my heel pressure or my toes, you know, I, I went so deep into that and that brought me to, you know, you talked about square shoes there or, hitting the ball with your toes up and, but maybe I, maybe I got to get a pair of squares to, to help me out.
2: Look at the, the, the God gave you 10 toes for reasons. The toes are your breaking mechanism of your foot. The heels are the accelerators. The ankles are the shock absorbers and propulsion system. So, you know, uh, path always follows pressure. In other words, if I get you, Mike, to put all your pressure in your heels and keep it there you're are you going to hit it from the outside no chance if you're if if you move your pressure from your toes to your heels you're on the inside path baby but the number one pressure flaw in golf is too much pressure in the toes so during your downswing so if you're going to your toes where's the path you're outside mm-hmm. path always follows pressure and probably you know it's interesting how I developed our knowledge because there was two. There's three key pros that, that I worked with. Jake Thurman out, uh, out of Illinois, he's a PGA Tour coach. Scotty Hamilton and and John Tillery were the first two guys that gave me the um, a real chance to go out and tour with their players, and they just happened to be the most winning Tour coaches on the planet still to this date, and we learned a lot. We didn't know shit back then, so we had to learn together so everything that we've learned and I was very conscious to keep in mind Sasha McKenzie Dr Sasha McKenzie was with us since the get go. I told Sasha I'm going to make you famous when I after I met him. And sure enough he is famous. He's a biomechanics but look at let me tell you ask you a question Mike JR you're at 42,000 feet in a jet airplane and all the engines are out. you want to have a mechanic in the cockpit or do you want to have a stick and rudder pilot in the cockpit with you? I want to be this. I don't want the mechanic in the cockpit. I want a guy who's actually flown an airplane without an engine that knows how to fly a stick and rudder. Cause they know the principles of aerodynamics. They understand what they got to do to get it on the ground. And that has always been my strength as a golfer. I know what type of shots we need to play during competitive golf. And I have studied the traces that will get you those shots. And then I worked with all the smartest people I could find developing the techniques. It's really, but what's interesting, it pisses me off about Canada. You know, 20 year your golf pros out there in Canada, you know, the Americans are more competitive than we are. I'll tell you why. There's a lot, there's a lot more teaching pros down there, right? Would you agree? Yeah,
3: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Okay. I see your head shaking up and down. So, you know, they'll buy the technology just to get a competitive edge over their competitors. There, there are other fellow golfers in Canada. They say to me now. There's some exceptions like Derek Ingram, Tristan Malali, the guys in Manitoba. You know, uh, Chris Sands was one of the first guys to buy a uh, a buy track. Uh, um, Jeff down there at um, in Saskatoon. I forgot what the golf course is. And then you know, the guy at Saint Charles, um, Corey Katouche top three customers, you know, first three customers. But after that, nobody else really bought it until, you know, the last couple of years. So I said, screw that shit. I'm going to the States. When I went to the States, open arms, uh, they want a competitive edge, but in Canada, they'd say to me, well, how do I make more money if I spend $3,000 on the technology? And the truth is most people won't pay more money for a lesson just because of the technology. But in the States, where it's super competitive, they got, they want the technology so that people will come to them as opposed to paying. They don't care if they pay, they charge the same price as a competitor. They want to be better.
0: Hey, man. My goodness. Amen. Like, they just, yeah, just all the, like the info is incredible. I wish I would have sat down with you more when... When I was at a Cinnabon, and I say that all the time, anytime I have, mm-hmm. you know, an old, an old friendly face from a Cinnabon golf club, I'm like, man, I should have oh, got some no. more information from these people. I guess you were too busy eating borscht or whatever it was.
2: Uh, well, exactly. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, you know, I, 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 will tell you this though. The, uh, I, I don't regret, uh, I, in, in my, like my son, it was born in Winnipeg. We moved when he was pretty young, I guess 11 years when he was about seven. Um he played his. you know soccer sucks because um when you're 17 you're finished between 17 and college they don't have like a uh they don't really have, but but we made our own you know how I am we built our own league and anyways Benny ended up being invited by the Wanderers to participate in an international pro event against Germany he played quite well uh he only came on the last 26 minutes but he played very well and it's just bubbled, and then I got involved with the Wanderers. We were we've been training, incline training with gait analysis, the body track in 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 treadmills. So I got involved with the UPI, um, I, and and on and on it goes. So you you just never know where life leads you. But last night he played his last, let's call it a junior game. He's eighteen. He's going to housing now, and we played Manitoba. If you could believe it, and um, it was interesting because. And, and you know, for anybody who's listening, if this part of the show is shared, I don't mean this in a negative way, but Manitoba has always been pretty good with soccer, and they still are. But we were with the Ben's playing Wanderers, which basically let's call it like it's really high quality uh football, soccer. So Manitoba subbing in all their their weaker players at the, at the last 20 minutes of the game. And because ooh, the coach from the Wanderers had not played the weaker players uh, for the first three games they started. So now at the end of the game, we're subbing in our best players, Manitoba subbing in its worst, play- worst players. It wasn't a happy ending for Manitoba, but it was just uh, <laughs> and, and ironic. I said to my wife, Rina, I said, if we had stayed in Winnipeg, Ben would be on that team. So, what we moved out here eleven years ago, and he's playing with the Wanderers. Just one of those things in life, right? Like, who would know? Um, But Winnipeg's got a great pro soccer team, so maybe one day he'll end up back there. But 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 where I'm going with this is, my son, in anything he does, he says I'm from Winnipeg, Manitoba, and I do too. We're always from Winnipeg. Uh, My my uh, my greatest memories are from Winnipeg. Love Winnipeg. Um, uh, Very proud. To, to be a, a person from Manitoba, and I wish everybody out there the very best. It's just too freaking cold. That's all.
0: <laughs> hey, well, you get hurricanes. <laughs> you get hurricanes out there now. But how is yeah, this seafood? Yeah, we got killed,
2: and we got killed. Fiona <laughs> killed go. us. Yeah, and uh, and we got. I mean, these. I don't know. It doesn't rain here anymore. It just comes straight down. So we, you know, we got washouts in Nova Scotia. We got fires all over the place. Don't come here, please. You know, tourism is the most important thing out here. But we got too many people, too many tourists out here. Our population goes from 200,000 in Charlottetown to about 1.2 million. I'll tell you what, it sucks out here. Stay away. <laughs> Go to Victoria Beach; it's more so beautiful. Just kidding. Come on out, and get some great lobsters and muscles.
0: yeah, yeah the East Coast lifestyle. I did uh, spend yeah, a couple, two and a half years out in Halifax, where uh, your son's going to be playing now at Dal. Got the Dal Tigers hat on, and yeah, they got the great, great university town is is Halifax and great seafood town, great party town as well. If you're ever in Halifax, well, in mean, Argyle Street, and you will find a great. A great bar that you'll walk into and everyone will know your name it's like cheers they actually have a cheers
2: well they, 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 everybody will know your name because they call everybody buddy and they, uh, hey buddy how you doing buddy great buddy great how you doing buddy Buddy, buddy's doing well buddy's great leave buddy alone eh? you know come on
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh man mike did you have any more do you want to jump in the back nine here
3: we can get into the back 9 i'm sure we could we could bring up many, many things. Uh, we'll have to do a part two with, with hash, but uh, all right. we, we got our back nine here.
0: All right. Well, let's uh, jump into the back nine lightning round. It is for Bryce Maliszewski, who is an investment advisor with Endeavor Wealth Management, part of IA Private Wealth, and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund. You can contact Bryce at 204-515-3446. We also have all of his info in our show notes and in our link tree. So just go to our social media pages in our bio, click on our link and Linktree is right there with Bryce's beautiful face, and he's a St. Mm-hmm. Charles member. He is. Go check him out. Give him a call,
3: and uh, maybe he can he can uh, make your money work for you. Hopefully. Hell yeah,
0: man. It's coming
3: back. Uh, it's coming back. So, uh, Terry, we got a collection of nine questions here. Uh, we call it the back nine lightning round, and usually it it's not that lightning quick, but uh, we'll. Okay. I know it's late out on the uh, East Coast, and your your mother is waiting for you patiently as she uh, she just arrived. <laughs> she didn't want to whatever.
2: talk to me. She wants to talk to my her grandson. That's all good. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, uh, well, you
3: got. to I've been calling you Hash, and I, I guess I read that that was your nickname. Uh, I was curious uh, if you had any other nicknames, or it was, it was just Hash.
2: Well, my competitors often call me asshole, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, the the first one, uh, have you ever got a hole-in-one? I have several. In fact, uh, my favorite hole-in-one was the PGA 2 qualifier in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. Wow.
0: Ooh, whoa!
2: Actually, I take that back. Um, Pine Ridge, toughest hole on the golf course. I forget, uh, uh, Elmhurst, I should say. It's on the front nine. It's about 210-yard par 3. One iron, Yonex, one iron, right in the hole. I won that uh, amateur by about 12 strokes. I think it was the greatest margin ever in history. (laughs) Yonix one
3: iron. Yeah. Yonix
2: graphite headed one iron. Not the first time
3: Yonix has been mentioned, but yeah, you don't see much of them anymore, Uh, but they do still exist. Yeah. I did look that up. Um, You mentioned you're not playing too often anymore. Well, I'm sure you are, but uh, you got a golf ball that, uh, that you're loyal to the brand or type. Titleist V1, but I like the Taylor 5. TP5s, yeah.
0: Hey, all
3: yeah. right. I got some nice, I got a, I was uh, playing at Clear Lake on the weekend, and my neighbor at the lake gave me two sleeves of TP5s. Nice. Was very nice of them. Shout out to Static Electric Electricity. Oh, That's yeah. the, that was the logo on there.
0: Yeah, I worked with Static oh. Electric before. Cool. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Thanks, Dave. And yeah. uh, so I've donated. Uh, Only two of them to the Clear Lake Golf Course bushes, so I uh, was yeah not too bad. Um, So that's good. But uh, so this is primarily a prairie-based podcast, so we always ask uh, what would be your favorite course to play in Manitoba? Uh,
2: Falcon Lake. Mm -hmm. Falcon Lake. I I I just love that golf course, and I'm glad you asked. uh, But Falcon Lake to me it's such a good course yeah
3: yeah beautiful so lush we will have to get the the super on there maybe we'll get to him in uh, uh for s- superintendent month in september
0: yeah we've dragged it out to a month it was only supposed to be a day but we make super attendant appreciation <laughs> the month of september <laughs>
3: uh what about if we're getting out our, out to uh, pei where should we where should we play if we're going to pei where do Crow you like Bush. to play there?
2: Crowbush, Crow but my brother-in-law owns Anderson Creek and Anna Green Gables, and those are also outstanding. But Crowbush, it's just uh, it's one of those classic going to kick your ass golf courses. It's a lot like Falcon Lake. Uh, if you know how to play it, you can score well, but you can take some really – high numbers on some holes too <laughs> great <laughs> uh we'll, we'll try it out we'll we'll try it out yeah <laughs> yeah definitely come on out you guys stay at the cabin
3: hey all perfect right.
0: yeah done. i think i
3: saw some uh pictures of the cabin and your you were uh deck you had all your bags from uh miami uh, miami there and a yeah. whole bunch of other things you got your it uh, sounds like you're putting together a jazz
2: uh, uh
3: museum there
2: we're putting the jazz museum in Belfast, okay. the links, and uh, they were kind enough. To, I got so much stuff that uh, you know, uh, you know, it's embarrassing. But anybody who's played competitive golf for as long as I have is going to have like a lot of trophies. Um, mm-hmm. You realize your kids don't want them. What the hell are you going to do with them? Yeah, right. and, Dust collectors. You know, so, uh, yeah, I've repurposed as many of them as I can. But there's some you don't want to get rid of, like the Canadian Junior Championship to win the Cup Championship, uh, you know, the Pan American Open, uh, the Duke of Edinburgh World Cup. I mean, they're crystal. What am I going to throw them in the garbage? Uh, wow, yeah. So, you know, you you, you got to have a place to put it. And the good yeah. folks at, 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 in Belfast are allowing me to put that stuff there. So it'll nice. be a nice place to put it.
3: Yeah, that's cool. Do um, you got a uh, a bucket list course in Manitoba that you've never played that you'd love to get out to? I'm not sure how often you come back to Manitoba, but uh...
2: well, I like Morden. Uh, I, I haven't played it often. I, I think I've played pretty well on every course there that uh, that I want to play. I, uh, mm-hmm. But I like that course. Um, I wouldn't mind playing there one more time. Uh, I forgot the name of the course, but uh, it, it's it's really mm-hmm. nice. Uh... Minawasta what's out that way no I don't think it's Minwasta um but it, it's it's a fun, it's a tough track and um the amateur was there I won that amateur there too one year but the, when I came back after my I got my amateur status back uh, I, I I won it there and it was a really tough track
3: yeah Minawasta St Charles was your 1998 uh uh Damn, waiting. That's it. Yeah, Middlesta. Middlesta. Yeah.
2: yeah. That's Which, right. It was at St. Charles that year too. I forgot.
3: Yeah. And I'm getting off my my train here. But uh what I found interesting was you you went pro and then you, you had to get you had to reclaim your amateur status. And uh we've never I guess usually people are doing it the yeah. other way. winning in the am and then and then turn in pro. Well,
2: I, I um I turned pro kind of late in my life. I my game was actually r- world caliber in and around uh 82 83 like I I I, I it was hard for me not to break far and typically was um my biggest attribute as a golfer was i wasn't afraid to go low like even on the canadian tour events you know i shoot the odd 64 or odd 63 i shoot the odd high score too but um very high score but i i i wasn't intimidated by going low so i, I never when i it's kind of like you know when you play craps on the table you know some people will pull their chips off when they get to a certain limit mm-hmm. me i just get um, but I, I think the only thing I'm proud of about my career in terms of uh, Manitoba golf was, you know, they gave me the maximum penalty there possible at the time, which was 10 years uh, mm-hmm. to get my amateur status back. So I basically took 10 years off uh, when Robbie McMillan uh, was rising to the scene, won two Canadian juniors, I'm sorry, two world juniors, I wanted to endorse Robbie. I wanted to get his, uh, so I decided to, to, I just got my amateur stats back, so I played that year and just to get to know him, and we ended up winning the one well in the Cup at Glendale. We became nice. friends, and, um, ended up making a set of clubs for him. We called it 7201s. Why do we call them the 7201s? Because after 72 holes, you wanted to finish first.
3: <laughs> well done. <laughs> That's awesome. So uh, you played all over the world. In your opinion, what would be the most memorable course that you've ever played? Uh, You can give us a a top three if you'd like, but, or what? Yeah. Well,
2: Key Biscayne in Miami, uh, it's still the Key Biscayne is just amazing. Uh, I'll take, uh, actually, they all, my personal ones are really all in North America. And I've played golf in Europe and, the UK, um, but I I, I, I like the, the uh, Pebble. I mean, Pebble is just you know impeccable. I mean, I've played Ball to Straw, um, Medina, Marion, and all that, but um, I played Augusta. Um, but I, I I I actually I'm going to give my third place to the Old North South in Winnipeg, St Charles. And, um, <laughs> oh, nice! and because uh, they've got great finishing holes. And uh, like, like, um, number nine in the old north is, um, great hole. 18, uh, I'm sorry, number nine in the old south is great hole. Um, you know, it's, it, it's such a great question, Mike, because I was thinking you might be asking that questions. I, I'd have to take, like, how do you beat number 18 at Pine Ridge? Uh, I want to add no bunkers on a, it's the only hole. It's the only finishing hole I've played anywhere in the world that doesn't have a bunker. That's an incredible hole. And I've raised this point to many people over the years. Um, You know, I like Troon. uh, If you want to talk about, I I like the old course St. Andrews. Um, But I mean, you know, until you're playing them in competition, they're not really the same. You know, so you can play um 18 at Breezy Bend, for example, no heat, like no comp- no pressure, not a hard, not all that hard of a hole. You play 18 at Breezy Bend under you gotta, you gotta part to win the of amateur or the or the Mantle will open. It's a tough ass hole. Um, mm-hmm. you know, everything just changes. You know, you gotta, what do you do, lay up, or do you just hit the shit out of it and go over the trees on the right? It's a it just changes perspective. And, and that's why those questions are so hard to answer. I'm sorry. I didn't maybe do such a good job there, but no, I, I
3: think it's uh, it's probably a tough question considering the, the amount of courses that you've played in the variety and the caliber uh, you know, I, it's hard to choose just three or, or one or whatever, Yeah, yeah, I know those, that's a, that's a great, uh, great answer. But, uh, do you got a bucket list course anywhere in the, in the world when you, you're you trying to get out to at some point that's on your, on your list? No, I, I just want to play. Uh, <laughs> typically, not, uh... typically we say, you know, typically everyone says Augusta and then we actually started including it in our, in our question. You're not allowed to say Augusta because that doesn't make for a good, good show or a good interview, but oh. we, but you've played augusta so uh
2: you've already my knocked out my bucket list is to play my final nine with my son
0: yes oh yeah that's great very nice
2: that that yeah. that's legit like i like i don't care where it is cuz i got to be honest with you and i hope you conclude this portion of what i'm about to say next i never played a hole i played a shot um i could care less about the golf course i'm playing cuz i i just want to get a as close to the pin as I can, and I want up to knock the pot in. I play shot by shot, and I can honestly say, uh, with rare exceptions, when I got ahead of myself um, or I was just mentally not there that day, I play shot by shot. I don't see a hole. I I, I play a practice round so I know where I gotta go, and then before the tournament, I check. I, I before the day of the day I'm playing. Or the on the morning of the day I'm playing, I check the wins, I check the pins, and I play shot by shot. Uh, to me, it's a shot game. It mm-hmm. you get ahead of it, you're done, um, and you can't. And you got to forget the bogeys, uh, or the doubles, or the triples. You just forget it, man. All pressure is self-imposed. So uh, you know, you know, if if you just say fuck it, it's just a game. I got nothing to lose because. No one's going to give a shit whether I win this tournament or not. And and the truth is, I probably don't care either. I just want to kick everybody's ass. And, and, <laughs> and I just want to irritate the piss out of the people that don't like me. So that it, it just motivates you better if you play shot by shot. Oh, wow. Good advice. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll write that one down. Mm-hmm. Put that gotta,
0: in, in my notes. I took some of the
2: Derek, <laughs> Derek,
0: Derek, Derek, Ingram's golf, uh, golf sports or uh golf psychology book, uh, that he uh, recently released. And I put a bunch of notes in my, in my phone. So I'll add that one to it.
2: Amazing. Uh, amazing. You know, le- just to share my thoughts on that, like D I has always been a friend. Very, I'm so proud of him. Uh, it's amazing. Um, you know, uh, Manitoba has produced more talent for golf, be it in business, be it as playing or as club professionals, uh, than probably any province on a cap- per capita basis, anywhere, bar none. I mean, Manitoba, the people in Manitoba make golf great, um, but we step up to the plate either on a business level, competitive level. And, I, and Manitoba golfers are well known all over the world.
0: Well said. That's why we do the podcast.
2: Exactly. You're doing a great job, Grand <laughs>
3: uh, Next one here. Would you? Uh, what would be your career low round? I guess in competition
2: or 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 just having fun out there. 63 at um, at, at the Windsor Classic on a Canadian tour um, was my. Wow. I, I, I I I got a great story for you. Uh, can I include it? Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Please do. All right. So I shoot 63. And the first round is also a pro-am. You're playing with the AMs, um, but back then, you know, the tour wasn't quite the way it is today. And so, uh, and, and the prizes were unbelievable. World round trip around the world, Air Canada, mint coats, fur coats, etc. you know, all this stuff, but, you know, not popular today. You can't say that shit, but so, you know, I, I shoot 63. The guys I'm playing with, they all suck. We, they win the pro-am, they go up to the table they get a, their world around trip, world around the world trip. Those bastards wouldn't even buy me a drink. I told them, "You guys are the cheapest bastards I ever saw in my life." <laughs> I said, "I carried your damn asses all day. I don't know what the hell you do for a living, but I'd buy you a drink if I if I was that shitty and I, and you helped me out that like that." I think so. Yeah, I would. They oh, wow. didn't like it. I got shit from uh, Bob Bolshaman the next day. The commissioner. I told Bob the to fuck off too. <laughs> <laughs> he, oh, laughed. he laughed he laughed he agreed with me by the way we're friends uh
3: i got a, a wild card my my question number eight is is a wild card but uh i don't know do you got any any stories uh really just leaving this one up to you what would be your your main golf story that you you'd you'd want to
2: tell us today if you haven't already yeah. Told if you're out in it. a
0: fishing boat what golf story are you telling yeah. maybe a fishing story
2: that's true. I had one of my, in my third year at school and um, I'd never been sick in my life. And I was very weak. And um, uh, uh, my, I had to play what's called the Dixie amateur and I played the Dixie amateur. My mom came down and she stayed with me for two months to make sure that I was eating properly, blah, 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 blah. And I really wasn't recovering all that quickly. Um, I had never been sick in my life and uh, played poorly was Depressed, and um, my dad called me up and he said, Here's a Mom, mom's gonna give you 100 bucks, go go qualify for see how you do with the qualifier for the Jackie Gleason Inverary Classic. So, however, it happened, I shot two on her on a terrible day. I go play the tournament, I make the cut. I'm the first amateur to make a cut in a PGA tour that year, and my whole third year uh, I won four tournaments that, that in the second semester uh, I played the best golf of my life. And I always tell my son um, winnings right around the corner from losing. And uh, so no matter, I always love it when it's, when it's when I'm out of money or it's, things are going really bad because I know um, success is just around the corner can happen at any time. And we, but when I built the AI shaft fitting system was called swing balance AI COVID had hit and we didn't know if we were going to be able to sell pressure mats. Uh, We couldn't, we, you know, the supply chain was all screwed up. Um, But I had, I I had a friend who had given me access to a studio where we were developing the technology. And within a year I made more money than I ever made in all my lifetimes 10. And uh, um, so you just never know. When you're going to win, so just keep going to the net because that's all you can do.
0: Well said. Yeah. There's the pull quote. I think that might be one of the best pull quotes <laughs> from
3: any one of the, <laughs> any one of the uh, interviews we've done
0: here on 18 over par. We got a few of this episode. Uh, mm, yeah, uh, yeah. So, yeah. Right.
3: <laughs> so, uh, hash our 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 uh, flagship question of the back nine lightning round. What is your favorite
2: condiment? <laughs>
0: So you might not drink on the golf course, but do you eat on the golf course? Yeah. Hot
2: and- dog, baby. I love chili dogs. And if they had chili dogs really? on the golf course, I'd be eating three of them, man. <laughs> hot dogs and chili dogs. There's a place in Miami. It's still around us on Southwest 56th Street. It's called Our Betters, Our Betters. And we'd go there all the time after our games. And if Now, I always wanted to have a hot dog stand. And I figured a name better than Our Betters. I'm going to call it Better Yet's. And um, I love chili dogs. I am a connoisseur of hot dogs. Chicago's got fantastic hot dogs. Michigan, too. Uh, (laughs) Cleveland. I mean, Manitoba, pretty good juniors. I can take that. And, you know, like this, I'm a hot dog king, man. I love hot dogs. Good answer. Yeah. Of thought. Hey, there we
0: go. Now
3: we know. <laughs> now I'm gonna go out and get a chili dog right now. But... Oh
2: man, baby, they're so good. You can't Salisbury House has got a great hot dog. And you know, they are fantastic. I don't know if Salisbury House is still around, is it? They are, yeah. They're still thriving. Oh man, yeah. get that with fried onions baby. It is succulent delight. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, what a way to end the uh, back nine <laughs> lightning round. And that's for uh, Brace Matlashewski, who is an investment advisor with Endeavor Wealth Management, part of IA Private Wealth and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund. You can contact Brace at 204-515-3446. Terry Hash, my goodness. Uh, we'll have to catch up with you at, at some time in a later season, but this was fantastic. So enlightening. You've lived many lives and man, you've lived life. So you're, you're an inspiration, at least to me. I don't know about you, Mike, but uh, thanks. Absolutely. So much,
3: so much history of golf and so much knowledge and, and so many great stories. Uh, it was, you know, we've been, you were one of our white whales to get on, uh, for, for a few months and from previous seasons. So I'm glad that, uh, you came on and we'll certainly have to have you on again.
2: Mike, thank you very much, junior It's been an honor. And, and you know, keep it going. Keep it rocking because uh, Manitoba Golf needs you guys. It's important that we make everybody in Manitoba know where we're as good as anybody on this planet. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Go there in the wintertime, practice, get off your ass, get in shape, play <laughs> golf, baby. We got a lot more ass kicking to do before we kick it over, babe. <laughs> out. Right on!
0: Oh, that's wonderful. Thanks so much. Well, beauty. We'll chat with you next time. And uh, wow, what an episode! Thanks again so much, and uh, have yourself a wonderful evening. Go eat some seafood or a chili dog.
2: All right, brother. Thank you, Jordan. Thank Thanks. you, Jared. Thank you, Mike. Cheers. And you can count on me waiting for you in the parking lot.